0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Today we are coming to a close in our Philippians series. Um, Since August, we've been on this journey together through Paul's letter to the Philippians, and we've been discovering together how to find joy in all of life. And today, I have the privilege of of closing us down in this series. And so, um, we're going to start in chapter 4, verse 10, and we'll just read to the end of the letter in verse 23. So, if you'll look with me, Paul says this in Philippians 4, starting verse 10. Um, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. And my God will supply every need of yours, according to his riches, in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. Uh, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's uh, pray together one more time. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I, uh, I ask uh, for myself and for every person in this room that you would open our ears to hear your voice, um, that you would open our eyes to see the all-satisfying beauty of Jesus, and that you would open our hearts to believe the truth that we've sang this morning, that your glory is what our hearts are made for. Your presence is what our hearts crave. And nothing else will do. Nothing else will do. Um, except you. And so I pray that you would help us to see through the lies, the fog, uh, whatever it is that we bring into this room, help us to see the truth embodied in the person of Jesus and all his glory and all his splendor and all his beauty, that we may worship him and be satisfied in the worship of him. Bring us to that place. I know I need you to answer that prayer for me especially. And I ask that you would do it for your glory and for our joy. In Christ's name, amen. Well, take a look at this stud. If we can get this picture, there he is. That's me in the sixth grade on my Harley. Uh, or so I pretended. It's actually um, a Honda moped. And if you look carefully, it's black with a little pink trim. So it's got this nice 80s vibe to it. Um, just to give you the story behind this moped here, you know, I don't think there's anything in my life that I've ever wanted as badly as I wanted that moped. Why? Because Kendall Raspberry had a moped. And I'm not sure, some of you may know Kendall Raspberry, but to me growing up, Kendall was a legend on my street, and he was the older, cool kid on my street because he had a moped. And so all the kids wanted to be Kendall, plus he had like this, remember Sting the wrestler? Like he had that haircut? Anyways, it was amazing. And he had a moped, and all the kids wanted this moped, and I thought to myself, man, if I could just have a moped like Kendall, my life would be awesome. And so I did what any kid would do, and I bugged and pestered my parents and my grandparents to death about how much I need a moped into my shock. They bought me one. So this is me on a moped. See, kids, it works. Um, you just beg them enough, and they'll get you whatever you want. And so that's, that's me on a moped. And um, when I brought that thing home, it's like all my dreams came true, all right? Um, I was all of a sudden popular, I was the cool kid on the street, all my friends wanted to be me, they wanted to ride on my moped, next thing you know, I got a girlfriend, bam. (laughs) Everybody meet Mandy, say hi Mandy, she could be listening on the podcast, Um, she took one look at my scooter and stonewashed jeans and those pair of Shaquille O'Neal's on my feet And, uh, poor girl didn't know what to do, man. She couldn't help herself. And so just like my wife, Carrie. And so (laughs) that's me and Mandy on the moped. And I'm telling you what, man, I was the king of the hill on my street. I mean, like I had made it to the top. I was on cloud nine. I was heaven on earth. My life was awesome because I had a moped and that lasted for about three weeks. And I got on my moped one day after school, and I drove down the end of my street to my best friend's house growing up, Waylon Harris. And I pulled up into Waylon's driveway, and I honked my little scooter horn and waited for him to come out and meet me. And what happened next devastated me. Um, His garage door began to slowly open, and I hear this engine revving inside. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. Waylon comes rolling out to meet me on a brand spanking new Kawasaki dirt bike. And I felt my heart sink. I was like, what the heck, man? Why didn't I ask for a motorcycle? Like, this is stupid. I got a moped. He's got a motorcycle. Like, this is Mandy. I can't let Mandy find out about this. This is crazy. Like, so, you know, in that moment, I began to covet, like, how, you know, I've, st- my best friend's got a motorcycle. I'm stuck with a moped. How did I let this happen? And I started to find myself no longer able to just like, you know, enjoy and be grateful for what. I have. I've got this amazing '80s-like moped. Like, why can't I just enjoy it? Uh, and I find myself no longer able to be grateful, enjoy what I have, because there's this gnawing thing in me that says, "I'm no longer really satisfied with my moped. This moped doesn't really satisfy me anymore. I need something else. I need something else." Listen, that gnawing feeling that I just described, you might call it greed. You might call it lust. You might call it jealousy. You might call it covetousness. You might call it being a spoiled brat. All of that would be true. But the Bible has a word for that, gnawing feeling, that encompasses all of those realities, and that word is discontentment. Discontentment. Um, If we were going to define discontentment, I really don't think there's a better definition than Joni Erickson taught us. She says this. She says discontentment is having what you don't want and wanting what you don't have. Anybody else struggle with that? In other words, discontentment is like this aching dissatisfaction in your soul that says, man, I'm just not really happy with where I'm at in life. If I could change my situation, if I could have more money, a better job, a better house, a better marriage, if I could have more stuff, more fun, a change of scenery, a moped, then I would be happy, then I would be content. Because what I currently have, I don't really want. And what I want, I don't currently have. That is the essence of discontentment. Am I the only one in this room who struggles with that? Because I'm going to be honest with you. Those kind of thoughts plague me all the time. Um, I'm not a very content person. Ask my wife. Uh, The story of the moped is really just a summary for my life. This has just been the theme, you know, if it wasn't the moped, I was discontent with my clothes or my wardrobe, or I was discontent in high school with my playing time as an athlete, or I was discontent with my grades in college, or I was discontent with being single, and then I got married and realized, that's awesome, but it's not the promised land, so you're discontent in your marriage, and then you're discontent because I don't have kids, and then I have kids, and I'm discontent with being a parent, and I think, why can't I do my own thing anymore? I'm discontent with my bank account, like, guys, I could, I could just go on and on. This is, this is a theme in my life. And something tells me I'm not the only one. Um, there's, this, uh, there's this British lady named Ruth Whitman. She's a British author who's recently, recently written a book that's a commentary on American culture. And the title of her book is uh, America the Anxious, How Our Pursuit of Happiness is Creating a Nation of Nervous Wrecks. And here's a direct quote from the book. She says, as a Brit living in the United States, the sheer backbreaking intensity of the American approach to finding contentment can sometimes feel alien. People in America spend more time, emotional energy, and money in the quest for contentment than any other nation on earth. The systematic packaging and selling of happiness is an industry worth billions and billions. But despite all of the effort and the money they are pumping into the endeavor, Americans consistently rank as some of the least content people in the developed world. One recent survey, get this, even placed the day-to-day happiness of the American people two places behind the citizens of Rwanda. What's more, according to the World Health Organization, Americans are far and away the most anxious people on the planet, with nearly a third of people in this country likely to suffer from an anxiety disorder in their lifetime. So what is going wrong? Why isn't all this effort paying off? Why can't people, especially Americans, seem to find any real happiness and contentment? Guys, what she's saying is that every single person in this room and every single person on this planet longs for contentment, to exist in a state of joy and peace and rest in your soul, yet few of us ever seem to find it. I know it's a struggle for me. The moment I think I've grabbed it, it seems to wiggle away from me. And so the question we're all left asking is, in an age of discontentment, is true contentment even possible? And Paul answers that question for us as we come to a close in his letter to the Philippians. Paul says, listen, the contentment that you're looking for, I found it. And he says, I have learned the secret of being content. Anytime somebody tells you they got a big juicy secret, what do you do? Whether you want to or not, you kind of lean in, right? I'm going to tune in. I'm going to lean in. I want to hear this. Paul says, listen, I've got a secret I want to share with you this morning. It's going to change your life forever. And in fact, your soul depends on. Upon having this secret. And so with that in mind, let's just walk through this passage and unpack Paul's secret. Can we do that together? That's all I want to do. So look with me at the beginning of the passage. And we'll start in verse 10. Paul says this, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Here's what he's saying. Let me summarize it for you. He's saying to the Philippians... Thank you guys so much for taking care of me while I was in prison. You saved my life. So th- let's remember, unpack the situation. Remember where Paul's at. Paul, when he writes this letter, is not in the comfort of his study. He is in a jail cell in chains in Rome waiting to go see the emperor Nero who does, church history says, end up killing him. And so Paul's sitting there um, and he's alone. Uh, The way the 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 Roman prison system works is you're on your own for food and clothes and money and provisions. And so you've got to depend on family and friends, hopefully, to take care of you or you'll starve to death. And so here's Paul alone, no money, broke, hungry, when all of a sudden Epaphroditus shows up bringing gifts. The Philippians praise God for him, Paul says. Man, they sent Epaphroditus. He traveled 800 miles to Rome with supplies for Paul so that he could stay alive and keep preaching Jesus and doing what he's doing and live to see another day. And so really what Paul's doing at the end of the letter is just taking a second to say, thank you guys. You guys are awesome. I praise the Lord for you. I mean, look at, look at verse 14. He says, it was so kind of you to do this, man. Thank you. You yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church except you guys gave me money. You know, you guys, you, guys get, you guys met my needs again in Thessalonica. Paul says, y'all were the first to ever support me in my ministry, and you're still doing it. You're still sending me money. Thank you, guys. Verse 18, I've received full payment and more. Look at that. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you've sent. Paul says, look, because of y'all's generosity, man, I'm alive I'm I'm, I'm well. The gospel is able to keep going forward through my ministry. From the bottom of my heart, thank you, guys. Praise God for you. But then notice what he says back up in verse 11. It blows my mind. He says, now, just to be clear, I'm not speaking of being in need. Do you see that? Paul says, I'm not trying to be rude, guys. Okay, listen, I thank you so much. Look, if not for the supplies you sent, I'd be dead already. Thank you so much for everything you sent me. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm, I'm really mean it. Thank you, but just to be clear, ultimately at the end of the day, I don't really need your money because I don't really need anything. Paul says, "Whatever happens to me, he says, I'm okay." This is this is when you read this, you should go wait a second. What does Paul mean? He's not in need. Right? He's in prison. He's got no money. Again, only the clothes that are on his back. How can he say he doesn't have any need? Well, here's how he says it. Look at the second half of the verse. Paul Paul says, here's how I can say that. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Verse 12, he says, In any and every... that's That's as inclusive as you can get, guys. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret to being content. Paul says, regardless of my situation, I'm content. I don't need anything. Now, that kind of statement would be shocking in the ancient world. And it should shock us, especially if you know Paul's story, because this dude found himself in some tough situations. Um, In whatever situation... When my friends and family, the Jews, turned on me and hated me and tried to kill me, Paul says, in those situations, I was content. Multiple times when I was beaten and left for dead, when they would stone me and they would whip me five times with the cat of nine tails, the 39 lashes, Paul says, that happened to me five times on five different occasions. What happened to Jesus? Happened to me five times. In those situations, I was content. When I was shipwrecked and adrift at sea three times, by the way, Paul, when he gets on a boat, needs to wear a t-shirt that says boat sink when I'm on him. <laughs> if I'm on a boat with Paul twice, I'm not getting on a boat with him a third time, right? Fool me once, like I'm not doing this. The dude, the dude was shipwrecked three times adrift at sea, hanging on to some driftwood for dear life. And he says, Yeah, man, in those situations, I was content. Multiple times when I was arrested and thrown into prison. Look, man, in whatever situation, Paul says, I've learned to be content. You know how discontent I am when the internet, the dadgum internet is running slow at my house? (laughs) I mean, God forbid the internet would intrude into my kingdom and Netflix would buffer for a second. Like... Or my Watch ESPN app, when I'm trying to watch the hogs get their tails whipped, would buffer for a second. Like, God forbid that would... I mean... Yeah, you're right. This is is so convicting and so mind-blowing to me. How many of you can honestly say, with Paul, in whatever situation I'm in, whether people love me or want to kill me, whether I have plenty or I've got nothing, whether things are good or things are bad... I've learned the secret to just be content. I don't want more than I have. I don't need more than I have. I'm content. Don't want more money. Don't want more stuff. You fill in the blank. I can't say that. Uh, My wife made fun of me this week because all October I have been complaining about the weather, how hot and humid it is in Arkansas in October. And uh, just so discontent. And then last week, it finally got cold, right? Hold on. Well, there you go. Go ahead and show it. You've already shown it. There it is. This, is, this sums up my discontentment with October weather right here. Am I right? I, I mean, I get up in the morning to take my daughter to school, and it's 40 degrees. And then by lunch, it's 80 degrees. Like, I hate this weather, man. I'm, I'm discontent when it's hot. I'm discontent when it's cold. <laughs> I saw, you know, it's not even Halloween. And I saw a Black Friday ad this week, last week. It's ridiculous, man. Give me a break. Um, I saw a Black Friday ad. And it was like, you know, it said something like up to 75% off, pre-order now. And naturally, I saw the ad, and I was like, I don't really need anything else. I'll just keep scrolling. Wrong. I clicked it. I was like, something in my heart goes, ooh, let's find out what's in here. And so I clicked this ad. <laughs> And I find this 65-inch Vizio smart TV, right? That's marked down. And so I start to look up from my phone at my 42-inch Vizio that's not a smart TV. And this thought starts to go through my mind of, man, I need a new TV. (laughs) Right? And then that thought grows and progresses into, boy, I sure do work hard. I deserve a new TV. For Christmas, right? Merry Christmas to me. Like, I need, a, I need a moped. I need a TV. I need something, right? And, and, and I begin to kind of look at my current situation and analyze it and say to myself, you know what? There's this gnawing feeling. It's chased me my whole life. And in my heart, it says, I don't want what I have, and I don't have what I want. Pretty darn discontent. You know what blows me away about Paul. He says, in whatever situation I'm content, I don't need nothing. He's content, and you look at his circumstances, and there's nothing about his life that says he should be, right? He's got like all these, no money, no house, no wife, no kids, no smart TV, like nothing. And so by this point, we should be looking at this and going, all right, dude, what's this guy's secret, right? What does he have that I don't have? Spill the beans, Paul. Let us know your secret. And Paul says, Hold the phone, time out. Before I tell you what my secret is, I need to tell you what my secret is not. Paul says, The secret to being content is not change your circumstances, if you haven't figured this out already. Change your circumstances, and then you'll be content. Look at verse 11. Look back at the text. He makes this very clear. Contentment is not dependent upon your circumstances. We know this, guys. We just need to hear it over and over. Whatever the situation, Paul says, I've learned to be content. Verse 12, in any and every circumstance, I've learned to be content. Why does Paul need to tell us this? Why does he need to say this to the Philippians and to us? Well, it's because he's addressing this universal lie that all of us are tempted to believe that if I could just have X, I'd be happy. When I get the thing I want, Or when I get more of what it is that I want, then I'll be happy. What is that for you? Everybody kind of brings that into this room. What's your moped or your 65 inch smart TV? Like, what what is it that you want? A girlfriend, a boyfriend, a relationship, a better relationship, a college degree, a different degree, a job, a better job, more square footage, a boat? You know, like, I want a new car, I want a new phone. If I could just have blank, I'd be content. Paul says false. Guys, this is not how contentment works. And here's the reality. You don't need Paul to tell you that. Your own experience tells you that. Am I right? Your own experience tells you that there's no matter how much uh, you get of what it is that you want, it's never enough. You're always left wanting more. That's why, by the way, Paul says what he says in verse 12. This, to me, might be the most fascinating thing he says in the whole passage. He says in verse 12, You have to learn how to be content even when you're rich. Did you see that? Did you catch that? Look what he says. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, why would Paul say that you have to learn how to be content when you're wealthy? Because if you're wealthy, you can pretty much have whatever it is you want, right? Why would Paul say you have to be content when you're wealthy? Because Paul knows exactly how the human heart works. Paul knows that we believe that, man, in our culture especially, the more I have, the more satisfied I'll be. The more I have, the more satisfied I'll be. Paul says the human heart doesn't work like that. In fact, it's the opposite. Instead of it being the more you have, the more satisfied you are, it's actually the more you have, the more you want. Sociologists have a term for this. They call it the prosperity paradox. The prosperity paradox is that the more prosperous you are, the more you have, the more you want. And no matter how much you get, it's never enough. And then when you start to feel that gnawing feeling that, man, this isn't enough, you think, well, I just need to consume more. And it's this vicious cycle that we get caught in. Guys, it's, nev- it's never enough. Um, I don't, I don't you know, want to bore you with too many quotes, but I think when people preach the sermon better than you, you just let them do it. There's another cultural commentator who writes about this, and here's what he says. I'll put this on the screen. He's talking about the prosperity paradox. He says, Too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. In America, we consume twice as many material goods as we did 50 years ago. Over the same period, the size of the average American home has nearly tripled. And today, the average American home contains uh, about 300,000 items. I think my kids have about 200,000 toys. On average, our homes contain more televisions than people. And the U.S. Department of Energy reports that due to clutter, 25% of people with two-car garages don't have room to park cars inside. And another another 32% have room for only one vehicle home organization, the service that's trying to find places for all of our clutter, is now an $8 billion industry, growing at a rate of 10% each year. And still one out of every 10 American households rents off-site storage, the fastest growing segment of the commercial real estate industry over the past four decades. Yeah. Hey, listen, no matter how much stuff you consume, no matter how much you get of what it is that you want, It will never be enough. You know what happens? The same thing that happened to my daughter yesterday at Pumpkin Hollow. She rode the hayride. She rode the horses. She rode the train. She did all this stuff. And what began to happen is she would come off of one activity and run up to me and say, What's next? Kind of just anxiously, right? (laughs) With every new experience that she's consuming, her heart is growing. Get this. Her heart is growing more hungry not less hungry. Because no matter how much she gets, it's never enough. It's never enough. It just makes you more discontent. That's why, by the way, the richest man in American history, uh, Mr. Rockefeller, who's worth about $200 billion if he were alive today, once said when he was asked how much money is enough, he replied just a little bit more. Just a little bit more is enough. And the problem is a little bit more never happens. Right? And you just chase after these things that don't satisfy. More stuff doesn't equal more contentment. Um, houses, TVs, gaming systems, cars, listen, all that stuff is good. But if you're looking for your contentment in those good things, you're going to starve your soul to death. Because your heart is hungry for something much deeper than that. Which brings us back to the million dollar question, right? Okay, then what is it, Paul? Spill the beans, right? You've beat me up enough with this. I get the point. It's not based on your circumstances. I should be able to be content in prison, right? Like, I understand that. So tell me, what's your secret? And Paul tells us his secret in verse 13. Look at what he says. Paul says, I can do all things through him. Him, the one who gives me strength. Through him who gives me strength. Who is Paul talking about when he talks about him? Jesus, right? Turns out the secret has a name. Paul says, the secret to being content is I can do all things through Jesus Christ, who is my strength. Now, for us to understand the seriousness and the power of this secret, we need to acknowledge something for just a second. So hang with me. This is probably the most popular and the most all-time quoted Bible verse in the history of the scriptures but most of the time we use it out of context. Okay, it's not all bad. Nobody's in trouble here. I've, I've done this many times in my life. It's not all bad, but, but, but we're missing the real power of Paul's secret. Hang with me. Um, in context, when Paul says this, I can do all things through Jesus who gives me strength, Paul's not saying I can, I can win a football game through Christ who gives me strength. Though there's nothing wrong with that. Although I have found myself often wondering like, What is Jesus going to do when there's Christians on both teams claiming that promise? (laughs) Kind of puts him in a dilemma, right? Who's he going to help win? I'm not really sure how that works. Um, Well, that's because that's really not what Paul's talking about. Now, is it true? Sure, it's true. Look, anything that you can do in your life, you can do because of God's common grace to you. He gave you the strength. He gave you the ability to get out of bed this morning. So, yeah, in that sense, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Become, you know, manage a business, be a great mom, preach a great sermon, like... Whatever, man. But in context, Paul's talking about something a lot harder than winning a game or running a race or doing whatever he's talking about. In any and every circumstance, you can learn to be content. That's a lot harder. When Paul says all things, he means all things good good or bad. Like when everything's right in your world and when everything's falling apart, Paul says the secret to being content is no matter what happens to you in your life, Do you or do you not have Jesus? Because here's what Paul wants you to see. When you know Jesus, you have the one treasure that nothing in this world can take from you. Guys, that's why if you remember in chapter 3 of Philippians, if you don't, go home and read it this afternoon instead of watching football. Philippians chapter 3, Paul says he lists out all his accomplishments and all his accolades, all the gain, he calls it, that he had in his life, everything he earned through his hard work. And Paul says all that stuff is loss and I consider it rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul wants us to hear that when Jesus, listen, when Jesus is your all, Nothing can be taken from you. Your joy cannot be stolen. And speaking of stolen, I got a devastating phone call a few weeks ago from my mom. My mom called me. I was just sitting down to work. And my mom called me, and she's just weeping on the phone. And I said, to her, what, what's going on? What happened? And she says, she proceeds to tell me that my grandparents, her mom and dad, who live in Tuckerman, Um, She says, while your grandparents were on vacation in Branson, someone broke into their house, and they stole their TV. They stole all my grandpa's guns. They stole all his guitars and his amps. They stole my grandma's jewelry. And then on top of that, they destroyed the place. They opened every drawer and threw everything out onto the floor. Even the contents of the fridge were pulled out and thrown onto I guess just to be mean. I'm, I'm not really sure. And then the icing on the cake is that at both ends of the house, they set fire to the house and burned it to the ground. And I'm sitting on the phone grieving because this is like a a childhood home for me. And that night, that very night, my grandparents showed up at my wife and at our house because they had nowhere else to go with all the possessions that they had to their name in a couple duffel bags. And we sat there in my living room almost all night drinking coffee and crying and talking about the memories that we made in that house. And I didn't know what to say. For the record, that's okay sometimes when people are hurting and you don't know what to say. It's better just to not say anything sometimes. All I could say is, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And at one point, my grandpa looked at me with tears coming down his face, and he said, Adam, this is, without a doubt, one of the most difficult situations we've ever faced. We don't know what we're going to do but the Lord is with us. And then he looked at me and he said, they can take all of our stuff, but they can't take our treasure. Listen, my memo and Peppa have found the secret of being content. You want to know what it is? The secret's out. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. When you have Jesus, you have the one treasure that nothing in this world can take from you. Listen, the secret's out, guys. This is is the secret that all of creation has been screaming at you since the very beginning. You rewind this story and you go all the way back to the beginning. God created Adam and Eve and we existed in perfect relationship with him. We were perfectly content in his love and in all that he had provided for us. And then you get this daggum liar that rolls into the narrative this serpent that whispers this lie to you and says, hey, would you stop for a second and analyze your situation? Are you really content with what you have? Like, don't you want more than this? That's the lie that we were told. Don't you want more than this? And for the first time ever in human history, we looked at our creator and we said, hmm, I have what I don't want, and I want what I don't have. And out of our discontentment, we rebelled against him. And that scene has been playing itself out in your life, and my life, ever since. And Paul says, listen, the secret, the secret, what all of your stuff, what, what every created thing is telling you, every time you look to created things to satisfy you, those things are screaming at you, this ancient secret that God alone can satisfy the human heart. Do you believe that? Because that's what your soul is trying to tell you. Because you were made for him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, your soul exists for God. Listen, your contentment is only compatible with Christ. It, it doesn't work with anything else because everything you need is found in him. There's this great blog post. I promise it's the last quote I'm reading. There's this great blog post in the Gospel Coalition on Contentment and the author says it like this. He says, put it on the screen. He says, whatever you desire... The answer is found in Jesus. Listen, guys, the boat you long for, what is that but a desire for freedom and rest, which is ultimately found in Christ? That promotion at its root is simply security and respect. Ultimately, these are found in Christ. Friendship, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus, one who never abandons or forsakes us. Family, we have an older brother who leads the way and unites us to a father who ever loves us. Justice, he's a judge who forever upholds righteousness Comfort, we have a priest who forever intercedes. Wisdom, you want wisdom? We have a prophet who always proclaims, a counselor who's ever ready with comfort, a provider who ever supplies, a savior who pays for our sins, a defender who will guard and keep us. Power, you want power? You will rule with him forever. You desire love? It's found in his spread arms on the cross. You want hope? It's found in his resurrection. You want peace? It's found in his blood shed for you. You want joy? It's found in his spirit given to you. You want contentment? it's found in the satisfaction of his presence bottom line when you have jesus you have everything your soul was made for the question you're left with this morning is do you have jesus do you know him have you looked at your current situation and said everything is everything else is lost considered uh, compared with the surpassing worth of knowing jesus have you made him your treasure? Some of you in this room, if you're anything like me, by this point, you're saying, yeah, man, I, I, I believe that in my head, but my heart hasn't caught up to that. Like I'm a disciple of Jesus and I want to believe that he alone saves me and satisfies me, but I still struggle with being content. I still look to other things. Well, Let's let's look at one more thing and then we'll close. Notice what Paul says twice in this passage. Did you catch it? He says, you have to learn this. Did you see that? Verse 11, he says, I've learned to be content. Verse 12, I've learned this secret. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean contentment's going to come naturally to you. Contentment's not natural. Paul says that's why it has to be learned. It's not just going to happen. None of us is just going to stumble into this. You have to practice it. That's why for centuries, Christians have called contentment a discipline. You have to practice this if you're a disciple of Jesus. So I want to close just by giving you a few ways that you can practice and nurture contentment in your heart as a disciple of Christ. Number one, you want to nurture contentment? You've got to practice gratitude. You've got to practice gratitude. Listen, it's hard to be discontent when you're thankful. Um, if, if you look underneath your discontentment, you'll find this lack of gratitude where, where I'm so obsessed with what it is that I want that I can't be thankful for what it is that I have. There's something that Jared, I appreciate this about him, uh, encouraged our missional community leaders to do a couple of weeks ago that I've been practicing in my life. Take five minutes at the end of your day or at the beginning of your day and list 24 things that you're thankful for in the last 24 hours. You want to nurture contentment? This is how you do it. 24 things you're thankful for in the last 24 hours. And as you look at that list... Just give thanks to God for what it is you do have instead of obsessing over what it is you don't. Stop comparing, number two. Listen, there's always going to be another Waylon in your life. There's always going to be a motorcycle to your moped. It's always going to, there's always going to be somebody cooler, better, smarter, funnier, sexier, hipper, like more accomplished than you. You're never going to be the best. If you, if you are, it's just going to be for a moment in time and nobody's going to remember. If you want to be content, stop comparing It's also what robs you of being able to just like rejoice with other people, right? Like, I'm happy for you, you got a motorcycle. I'm still working on that one with Waylon. Um, But like, I'm happy for you, you have something I don't have, or you have something better than me. Like, I'm content with what I've got, right? Stop comparing, and you'll be free to be content. Number three, hold everything with an open hand. You know what that means? Everything God gives you, you hold it with an open hand. You don't cling to your stuff for contentment. You cling to the Savior for your contentment. And if the Lord brings riches, if He blesses you with a family and healthy kids and healthy marriage and success and whatever, you say to yourself, all right, Lord, I'm going to hold all this with an open hand and I'm going to serve you completely. And then like Job, if it's gone in the blink of an eye, if the Lord brings poverty and disaster and hardship and difficulty, you say, praise the Lord. I'm going to hold all this with an open hand. I'm going to trust that Jesus is going to be for me, all that I need for him to be for me in these circumstances, and I'm just going to, I'm going to hold everything I've got with an open hand. I'm not clinging to any of this stuff. I didn't bring any of it in this life with me. I can't take it home with me, right? I'm clinging to Jesus. Number four, practice self-denial. Every now and then, you've got to treat yourself. That's, that's okay, right? I'm going to buy a new pair of shoes. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with buying a smart TV. The question is, can you be content without it? And Jesus commands you, deny yourself in the Scriptures. It's really good for my soul. Sometimes when I'm looking at Amazon and I don't buy that record that I want for my record collection. or I don't buy another pair of Vans, which I don't really need, right? Vans are shoes. I have a shoe problem, Okay. Get off my back about it. Um, (laughs) It's good for you guys. It's good for you because it it reinforces to you. It's training your heart to go, oh yeah, I've actually got everything I need in Christ. I don't need this stuff. Practice self-denial. Number five, silence and solitude. Listen, make space in your life to be alone with Jesus. If you don't do this, you'll never be content with just Jesus. Never. You'll never be content with just Jesus until you really get to know Him by getting alone with Him and just being with Him. Lastly, You'll never be content if you don't nurture gospel resiliency in your life. And here's what I mean by that. Um, In any and every circumstance, you have to keep coming back in your mind and preaching the truth to yourself that everything I need is supplied for me in the grace that is mine in Jesus. And notice that's how Paul ends this letter. In verse 23, he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. You know what you need? Let's talk about need for a second. You want to know what it is you need more than anything? The only thing you really need? Grace. And Paul says, that's my prayer for you. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. You want to know what's awesome about Jesus? All you need is grace and all you got is grace. Jesus, you know His grace is sufficient for you because to meet all your needs because on the cross He's met your deepest need. What's mind-blowing to me about Jesus is at the end of his ministry, you find him in a garden just like Adam, contemplating a tree just like Adam. And both Adam and Jesus are tempted to walk away from God because of this tree. For Adam, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and for Jesus, it's the cross. And unlike Adam, Jesus didn't want the tree. Adam wanted the tree more than God. Jesus didn't want the tree. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But you know why Jesus chose the tree that he didn't want? Because there's something he wanted more. He wanted you. Jesus wanted the Father's glory satisfied in your appreciation of his love for him. And 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 in the sheer joy it brings him to shower you with all his love and grace. That's what he wants. That's why it was for the joy set before him that he went to the cross. To purchase your forgiveness, your freedom, ultimately your contentment in him.